The only way to beat COVID-19 is to face it. You can't forget the danger. Wear the mask, wash your hands, keep a safe distance, especially over the next few months. You know we'll get back to normal, but not yet. Consider virtual gatherings for the holidays, curbside food orders, shopping local. Let's beat this virus into submission. We can if we face it together. For more safety tips, visit ogov.com slash COVID. Paid for by Oakland County Health Division. The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Good afternoon and welcome to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Mark Grimaldi, Leslie's executive producer in for Leslie today. Uh, Today I'm largely going to be sharing different pieces of audio with you from the House's impeachment hearings, which would be the historic second time that a president is impeached. Uh, Obviously Donald Trump, President Trump has been impeached once already. The Senate failed to convict with only Mitt Romney crossing the aisle for uh, convicting in the Senate the last time around uh, due to the quid pro quo uh, call with Ukraine's president uh, trying to get dirt on uh, then vice, uh, then presidential candidate Biden, now president-elect Biden. Uh, that seems like so long ago these days. Now we are in our second impeachment vote, the hearings taking place on the floor of the United States House of Representatives as we speak, uh, this time for Trump inciting the Capitol riots, which led to the death of five Americans, including one Capitol police officer. Uh, So there's a lot of different uh, audio today, a lot of uh, debate on the House floor, uh, a lot of uh, speeches, actually, I should say, more so than back and forth debate in particular. Um, you know, some members only given as much as 30 seconds, others more, depending on their position. Um, but really what, what I found interesting was where were Republicans going to stand? Where are they going to stand? Because we don't have a final vote tally yet, although some have announced um, how they intend to vote, some Republicans and uh, many Democrats. Uh, it was a moment to find out where Republicans stand and where they will be registered uh, in the history books, whether they stood uh, with this president following these riots or uh, stood with the American people and with protecting uh, our democracy, both literally and uh, figuratively, the actual capital uh, with these riots happening just a week ago today. Uh, So first, uh, to really capture what some Republicans are feeling, um, I want to take you to a piece of audio that actually happened off uh, the the floor, which was an interview earlier today on Meet the Press with uh, Chuck Todd of MSNBC and Representative Jason Crow of Colorado. Let's take a listen. There's a number of things that are happening on the Republican side. Uh, a very small handful, I think, uh, are, are kind of morally bankrupt individuals who have given in to these conspiracy theories uh, and uh, are, are too far gone to be redeemed. 
but the majority of them are actually uh, uh, paralyzed with fear. You know, I had a lot of conversations with uh, my Republican colleagues last night, and a couple of them broke down in tears talking to me and saying that they are afraid for their lives if they vote for this impeachment. Uh, my response was uh, not not to be um, uh, you know unsympathetic, but you know, welcome to the club. That's leadership. Our, our country is in a very a challenging time. Uh, many of us have felt that way for a long time uh, because we've st stood up uh, for our democracy, uh, and we expect them to do the same. Uh, but the process argument, you know, we have a domestic terror threat that's being led and incited by the president. Uh, there are three uh, substantial plots uh, against the Capitol, against members of Congress. Uh, they're ongoing now in the weeks ahead and against the inauguration of the president. Uh, we have to do what's necessary to protect the American people. So really, that laid out kind of what the situation is for Republicans. Uh, again, that was Representative Jason Crow of Colorado saying that a lot of the Republicans, House Republicans, are paralyzed with fear at the moment. So the question now is, how are they going to respond? And uh, I think there's a range of responses that we see so far with those who are, as Representative Crow, I think correctly, uh, labeled them morally bankrupt. Um, those who are maybe on the fence or trying to, uh, you know, I guess just straddle both sides, uh, or those who I think who are, can be called courageous, who will vote um, and buck their majority of their party and vote to impeach uh, President Trump this time around. Uh, so the first category of those who uh, are morally bankrupt, I think uh, you have the uh, head of the minority Republican side of the House Judiciary Committee, Jim Jordan, I think very finely uh, represents that, uh, unfortunately for him. Um, and then you have uh, also on the other side of the aisle who was debating with him, Representative Jim McGovern um, of the Democratic uh, House of Representatives. Uh, so we're going to start with a clip from McGovern here who kind of lays out where we're at, and then you're going to hear Jim Jordan's response. And this was one of the few times you really saw a back and forth on the House floor uh, with the proceedings today. Like I said, most of the time, otherwise, it's really just been um, representatives on both sides of the aisle making their statement, you know, within the time that they're allotted, finishing, and then sometimes the other side of the aisle, you know, makes their statement and, and it, you know, doesn't have anything directly to do with what the comments were that were just said. It's just about the impeachment in general. Um, so hopefully uh, that kind of illuminates the situation on the House floor for you. Again, this is Representative Jim McGovern uh, laying out on the House floor the way he sees uh, this impeachment vote. Mr. Speaker, we are debating this historic measure at an actual crime scene, and we wouldn't be here if it weren't for the President of the United States. On Wednesday, January 6th, Congress gathered here to fulfill our constitutional duty, tallying the Electoral College victory of President-elect Biden and Vice President-elect Harris after a free and fair election. This uh, is largely a ceremonial role for the Congress, one that sends a message to the world that democracy in the United States persists. But at a rally just a mile and a half down Pennsylvania Avenue, Donald Trump and his allies were stoking the anger of a violent mob. A member of this very body proclaimed on that stage, today is the day American patriots start taking down names 
and kicking ass. Trump's personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, called for trial by combat. Then Donald Trump told the crowd, we're going to have to fight much harder. You will never take back our country with weakness. Even though, according to his own administration, that this election was the most secure in our history, Donald Trump repeated his big lie that this election was an egregious assault on democracy. Vice President Pence, he said, was going to have to come through for us. Trump then told this mob to walk down to the Capitol. The signal was unmistakable. These thugs should stage a coup so Donald Trump can hang on to power. The people's will be damned. This beacon of democracy became the site of a vicious attack. Rioters chanted, hang Mike Pence. As a noose and gallows were built a stone's throw from the Capitol steps. Capitol police officers were beaten and sprayed with pepper spray. Attackers hunted down lawmakers to hold them hostage or worse. Staff barricaded doors. People sent text messages to their families to tell them they loved them. They thought they were saying goodbye, Mr. Speaker. This was not a protest. This was an insurrection. This was a well-organized attack on our country that was incited by Donald Trump. The actions of Donald Trump have called each of us to fulfill that oath today. I pray that we rise to this responsibility because every moment Donald Trump is in the White House, our nation, our freedom is in danger. He must be held to account for the attack on our Capitol that he organized and he incited. I solemnly urge my colleagues to support this rule and the underlying article. The damage this building sustained can be repaired, Mr. Speaker. But if we don't hold Donald Trump accountable, the damage done to our nation could be irreversible. I reserve the balance of my time. Gentleman from Massachusetts, reserve. So very well put there by Representative Jim McGovern, who is the chair of the House Rules Committee, Democrat of Massachusetts, uh, really just laying out why this impeachment vote is happening, um, what's at stake, and when we come back, uh, we're going to hear uh, a back and forth between Representative McGovern and Representative Republican Jim Jordan of Ohio, um, and you have them arguing about impeachment, whereas really the rest of the day, or most of it, I would say much of it, was the representatives uh, just kind of registering their opinion as to whether or not they are for impeachment and, and why or why not. Uh, but when we come back, we'll hear that back and forth between McGovern and Jordan. Again, this is Mark Grimaldi in for Leslie Marshall today. And we are going to hear more from the rest of Congress as this historic second impeachment vote of President Trump takes place right now as I speak on the floor of the House of Representatives. So stay tuned. We'll be right back after this quick commercial break. Again, this is Mark Romaldi in for Leslie Marshall, and we'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Mark Romaldi, Leslie's executive producer, in for Leslie Marshall today. We are sharing audio from the House floor where the historic second impeachment vote is taking place of President Donald Trump. Um, no president previously has been impeached more than once, uh, but the president uh, may be making history today. It looks like he probably will be. But uh, as we were mentioning before the break, uh, how are Republicans reacting to this in the House? How are they voting? What are they saying? Well, uh, Jim Jordan, I gave it as, as an example, someone digging his heels in, and we have a back and forth, one of the few from today with uh, Democratic uh, Congressman Jim McGovern, the chair of the House uh, Rules Committee, uh, talking with Jordan about the impeachment. Uh, take a listen. Committee, Mr. Jordan of Ohio. Gentleman from Ohio is recognized for two minutes. Thank the gentleman for yielding, Mr. Speaker. Uh, in his opening remarks, the Democrat chair of the Rules Committee said that Republicans last week voted to overturn the results of an election. Guess who the first objector was on January 6, 2017? First objector, the Democrat chair of the Rules Committee. And guess which state he objected to? Alabama. The very first state called, Alabama. President Trump, I think, won Alabama by like 80 points. Actually, he won, it by, he won it by 30 points. They can, object, they can object to Alabama in 2017, but tell us we can't object to Pennsylvania in 2021? Pennsylvania, where the state Supreme Court just unilaterally extended the election to Friday? Pennsylvania, where the Secretary of State unilaterally changed the rules, went around the legislature in unconstitutional fashion? Pennsylvania, where county clerks in some counties, and you can imagine which counties they were, let people fix their ballots? against the law, fix, cure their ballots, their mail-in ballots, directly viol direct violation of the law. And they tell us we tried to overturn the election. Guess who the second objector was in 2017? The individual managing the impeachment for the Democrats. Americans are tired of the double standard. They are so tired of it. Democrats object to more states in 2017 than Republicans did last week, but somehow we're wrong. Democrats can raise bail for rioters and looters this summer, but somehow when Republicans condemn all the violence, the violence this summer, the violence last week, somehow we're wrong. And Democrats can investigate the President of the United States, as Mr. Hoyer went through, try to impeach him, investigate him for four years, but will not look at an election that 80 million Americans, half the electorate, 80 million Republicans and Democrats have their doubts about. I, I, I said this last night, I do not know where all this goes, and this is frightening for the country. We should defeat this rule, and we should defeat the impeachment resolution when it comes up. Gentleman's time's expired. Gentleman from Oklahoma Reserve, gentleman from Massachusetts is recognized. Yeah. Mr. Speaker, some of us um, objected uh, uh, four years ago we, uh, as a protest vote to raise concerns about what all of our intelligence agencies had stated clearly that Russia interfered in our election. But what the gentleman fails to acknowledge is that we all acknowledge that Donald Trump was the president the day after the election. Hillary Clinton conceded the day after the, the election. Uh, and uh, n none of us push conspiracy theories like some of my friends on the other side of the aisle have been doing in this president that somehow the president wanted a landslide. Give me a break. You know, yesterday in the Rules Committee, I asked the gentleman from Ohio uh, if he would just say five simple words. And if he, he was talking about healing. These are the five simple words that you could say that would help heal this nation, are that the election was not stolen. That's it. Five simple words. 
He refused. He said he never said the election was stolen. Well, the evidence shows otherwise. And let me quote from this Dana Milbank piece entitled, Five Pesky Little Words Keep Stumping Jim Jordan. And I, uh, and I, and, and Mr. Speaker, the bottom line is this. Um, we, this Capitol was stormed. People died because of the big lies that were being told by this president and by too many people on the other side of the aisle. Enough. People should be outraged as to what happened. It was unforgivable, unconscionable. And coming up on this floor and talking about whataboutism and trying to make these false equivalencies, give me a break. The President of the United States instigated, instigated an attempted coup in this country. People died. Everybody should be outraged, whether you're a Democrat or Republican. If this is not an impeachable offense, I don't know what the hell is. This president is not fit to remain in office. With that, I yield one minute to the gentleman from Oregon, Mr. DeFazio. The gentleman from Oregon is recognized. As you can hear, that was uh, a very impassionate back and forth between uh, Republican Congressman Jim Jordan and Democratic Congressman Jim McGovern. Uh, McGovern, I think, really highlighting what's at stake here and Jordan sounding exactly like he did before the Trump incited riots, you know, trying to bring up these already, you know, factually debunked voter fraud claims and talking about that instead of the five people who lost their lives after being incited to violence by the man he's defending. Uh, we also have, uh, as I said, Republicans, you know, facing the heat right now. How will they respond? Uh, you had Democratic Congressman uh, Jason Crow saying, you know, he's talked with many of them who on the side have wept and tell them and said that they're paralyzed by fear. Uh, you have this first bunch, like I mentioned, Jim Jordan uh, and also Ken Buck, a Republican of Colorado, who are just absolutely digging their heels in. And uh, this is uh, Ken Buck, uh, Republican congressman of Colorado. Um, you can hear how ridiculous his argument is for yourself. Then the socialists in Hollywood joined their allies in Congress. Robert De Niro said that he wanted to punch the president in the face. Madonna thought about blowing up the White House. Kathy Lee Griffin held up a, a likeness of the president's uh, beheaded head. And nothing was said by my colleagues at that point in time. In fact, one Democrat colleague said that Trump supporters should be harassed wherever they are, in restaurants, on the street, in supermarkets. During this prime, the president was under investigation by a special counsel who found no collusion, no conspiracy with Russia. The president's supporters were harassed. Ajit Pai, the, the uh, head of the FCC, was called a dirty, sneaky Indian. His children were harassed in school. The press secretary, Kirsten Nelson, was, uh, I'm sorry, the press secretary, Sarah Sanders, was kicked out of a restaurant for being a Trump uh, employee. The DHS Secretary Kirsten Nelson harassed by her home. So as you can hear, you know, they're comparing Robert De Niro commenting on President Trump and Sarah Sanders getting kicked out of a restaurant with five people losing their lives. Uh, this is the part of the Republican Party who has not repented. You're going to hear next from those who are trying to straddle the fence and finally those who are showing some courage. This is Mark Romaldi in for Leslie Marshall.
Welcome back to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Mark Romaldi, Leslie's executive producer, sitting in for Leslie today. We're going to get right back into the audio I've been sharing with you. Uh, I had mentioned we listened to Jim Jordan and Ken Buck, Republican uh, House representatives, still digging their heels in and defending President Trump during today's impeachment hearings. Now you're going to hear from House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, who I think kind of... um, represents those who are trying to straddle the line of uh, how to move forward with this impeachment vote. Take a listen. I believe impeaching the president in such a short time frame would be a mistake. No investigations have been completed. No hearings have been held. What's more, the Senate has confirmed that no trial will begin until after President-elect Biden is sworn in. But here is what a vote to impeach would do. A vote to impeach would further divide this nation. A vote to impeach will further fan the flames of partisan division. Most Americans want neither inaction nor retribution. They want durable, bipartisan justice. That path is still available, but is not the path we are on today. That doesn't mean the president is free from fault. The president bears responsibility for Wednesday's attack on Congress by mob rioters. He should have immediately denounced the mob when he saw what was unfolding. These facts require immediate action by President Trump. Accept his share of responsibility, quell the brewing unrest, and ensure President-elect Biden is able to successfully begin his term. Some say, The riots were caused by Antifa. There is absolutely no evidence of that. And conservatives should be the first to say so. So again, that was House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy. You can hear how he's straddling straddling the line, saying Trump should take uh, responsibility for his part in inciting the riot, but then making kind of a process argument saying, you know, this isn't the way to do impeachment or heal the nation. Um, And then you have those who I think are showing courage. Uh, So far, there are six House Republicans. There's expected to be up to uh, 10 or 20 total of them who vote to impeach President Trump uh, in the end. But uh, two that have gone on the record so far today are both Republicans from the state of Washington. Uh, Dan Newhouse, uh, we have uh, first, and you're going to hear from him, and then uh, his colleague, uh, we'll hear from second. These articles of impeachment are flawed, but I will not use process as an excuse. There is no excuse for President Trump's actions. The president took an oath to defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Last week, there was a domestic threat at the door of the Capitol, and he did nothing to stop it. That is why with a heavy heart and clear resolve, I will vote yes on these articles of impeachment. That was was really something if you were watching the proceedings on the floor, that's really where you saw the courage, where where the man meant the moment. And, um, you know, I don't want to give some Republicans too much credit who have made excuses for or supported President Trump through all the other awful things that he's done. But 
it is not an easy vote, um, regardless uh, of whether it should be. Um, in reality, if you're a Republican right now in the House, you've largely gotten there going along with everything Trump has done. So to now turn around and say what's right is right and what's wrong is wrong and to vote to impeach this man, um, as you can see, it, there, there's still uh, uh, less, far less that are so far going on the record saying they are going to vote to impeach him, despite his obvious uh, incitement of the riots that have left five dead um, last Wednesday. The other Republican I wanted to highlight as showing uh, some backbone here is Republican House Representative of the state of Washington, Herrera Butler. Let's listen to what she had to say. I'm not afraid of losing my job, but I am afraid that my country will fail. I'm afraid patriots of this country have died in vain. I'm afraid my children won't grow up in a free country. I'm afraid injustice will prevail. But truth, truth sets us free from fear. Truth doesn't guarantee bad things won't happen, but it does promise to always prevail in the end. It has no shadows where darkness can hide. With truth comes love, and we could use that right now. My vote to impeach our sitting president is not a fear-based decision. I am not choosing a side. I'm choosing truth. It's the only way to defeat fear. The gentlewoman yields back. The gentleman from New York wishes to reserve his time. So again, those two Republicans who have gone on the record and spoke today that they will vote to impeach uh, President Trump are Representatives Dan Newhouse and Herrera Butler, both of the state of Washington. Uh, next, uh, we are going to hear from the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, on her argument for impeaching President Trump. And his annual address to our predecessors in Congress in 1862 President Abraham Lincoln spoke of the duty of the patriot in an hour of decisive crisis for the American people. Fellow citizens, he said, we cannot escape history. We will be remembered in spite of ourselves. No personal significance or insignificance can spare one or another of us. The fiery trial through which we pass will light us down in honor or dishonor to the latest, latest generation. We, even we here, he said, hold the power and bear the responsibility. In the Bible, St. Paul wrote, think on these things. We must think on what Lincoln told us. We, even here, even us here, hold the power, and bear the responsibility. We, you and I, hold in trust the power that derives most directly from the people of the United States. And we bear the responsibility to fill that oath that we all swear before God and before one another. The oath to defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic, so help us God. We know that we faced enemies of the Constitution. We know we experienced the insurrection that violated the sanctity of the people's capital and attempted to overturn the duly recorded will of the American people. And we know that the President of the United States incited this insurrection, this armed rebellion against our common country. He must go. He is a clear and present danger to the nation that we all love. Since the presidential election in November, an election the president lost, 
He has repeatedly held about the, uh, lied about the outcome, sowed self-serving doubt about democracy, and unconstitutionally sought to influence state officials to repeal reality. And then came that day of fire we all experienced. The president must be impeached, and I believe the president must be convicted by the Senate, a constitutional remedy that will ensure that the republic will be safe from this man who was so resolutely determined to tear down the things that we hold dear and that hold us together. We're going to start a clip from Jerry Nadler, the House Judiciary Chair, but we will likely uh, pause that clip and finish it when we get back from break. But um, you heard there the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, arguing in favor of impeachment, why to vote yes. And uh, Representative uh, Chairman Nadler, uh, I think, starts to bring up a point which also brings into the racism that played into these pro-Trump riots um, that left five dead. Let's take a listen to see what he had to say. And again, we will uh, pause the clip and head to break momentarily. We all saw it coming. Months in advance, President Trump was baselessly and deliberately whipping his supporters into a frenzy. Weeks before the riot, he used his bully pulpit to spread lies about the election. He told his supporters that the results were fraudulent. He implored them again and again to help him stay in power. And he convinced them that accepting the outcome of the election posed an existential threat to their families and their freedoms. We have a duty to observe, Madam Speaker, that racism played a direct role in this incitement. The President's violent rhetoric is always at its most fevered pitch when he is talking about the civil rights and civic aspirations of black Americans and other minority communities. On January 6th, at a rally that was large, angry, and widely reported to be armed, the President's lies and violent rhetoric reached their crescendo. At that rally, the President took the stage. After reiterating the falsehood that we won this election, and we won it by a landslide, he told the crowd that if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. And then he urged the mob to walk down Pennsylvania Avenue to prevent the Congress from confirming the election of an illegitimate president. On that day, President Trump unleashed the force of a mob on this, the people's house. He encouraged that attack with the explicit intent to disrupt the joint session of Congress, an attack that threatened the safety of the vice president, the speaker of the house, and the president pro tem of the Senate. All right, we're going to return with the remainder of that clip from Chairman Nadler. And then coming up, we're going to hear from House Intelligence Chairman Adam Schiff, as well as House Judiciary Member uh, Congressman David Cicilline, who's been on the show before. We're hoping to have him on again soon. Uh, this is Mark Romaldi in for Leslie Marshall, and we will be right back after this quick commercial break with more from the House. Welcome back to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Mark Romaldi in for Leslie Marshall. We are hearing from the uh, House floor where the impeachment vote will be taking place right now. Debate uh, is happening and we're going to go back to the clip uh, we started of uh, House Judiciary Chairman Jerry Nadler. The next three officers in the line of succession 
And look at what that violence has wrought. At least six dead. Offices ransacked. The sanctity of our capital breached for the first time in two centuries. Our hallways littered with broken glass. The battle flags of a long-dead confederacy and the debris we have come to associate with the Trump campaign. Mr. Speaker, Madam Speaker, I have faith in the resiliency of our government. We will bring the rioters to justice. Their accomplices in this House will be held responsible. But today, we must focus on the gravest threat first, President Trump, who incited this riot and who remains a grave danger to the nation. As we warned the Senate <coughs> when we tried him for his first impeachment, President Trump has made clear in word and deed that he will persist in such conduct if he, if he is not removed from power. He poses a continuing threat to our nation, to the integrity of our elections, and to our democratic order. He must not remain in power one moment longer. Not one moment longer. The danger is too great. We must impeach. And uh, echoing having already the, the point about having already impeached President Trump once, uh, we are going to go to Democratic Representative Cedric Richmond, who brings up that point in his audio today. Some of my colleagues, some of which may well be co-conspirators, in their latest attempt to placate and please this unfit president, suggest that we shouldn't punish Trump for his actions in order to unify the country. That is the climax of foolishness. Let me suggest to them, stand up, man up, woman up, and defend this Constitution from all enemies, foreign and domestic, including Donald J. Trump. In the first impeachment, Republicans said we didn't need to impeach him because he learned his lesson, so no need to remove him. Well, we said if we didn't remove him, he would do it again. Gentleman's time has expired. Simply put, we told you so. The gentleman's time has expired. Richmond out. He finishes with Richmond out. Uh, I think another great point brought up there about the warning from the first impeachment about how much worse things could get. I mean, I would say who could imagine this, but people have talked about the danger of those in the House during the first impeachment trial about, uh, you know, President Trump, how dangerous he, he was and then how dangerous he would be when he's not no longer running for re-election. Um, and and now you have it even more dangerous trying to hold on to power. Uh, next, we're going to hear from, as promised, House Intelligence Chairman Adam Schiff on the debate as to whether or not to impeach President Trump for a historic second time. One week ago, the president incited an insurrection against Congress to prevent the peaceful transition of power. It was the most dangerous moment for our democracy in a century. Today, we invoke the remedy the founders provided for just such a lawless president, impeachment. More important, today we begin the long road to restoration. America has been through a civil war, world wars, a Great Depression, pandemics, McCarthyism, and now a Trumpist and white nationalist insurrection. And yet our democracy endures. It endures because at every juncture, every pivotal moment, when evil threatened to overtake good, patriotic Americans step forward to say, enough. This is one of those moments. To preserve this sacred place, this citadel of democracy for ourselves and for posterity, let us say enough. 
And next, I'm going to try to get to as many of these as we can. We're going to go to Representative Jim Clyburn of South Carolina, Democrat. We must do our constitutional duty once again. While the president failed in his attempt to upend our democracy last Wednesday's events, make clear that if we do not hold him accountable and remove him from power, a future attempt could very well be successful. The survival of our democracy depends on defeated candidates accepting their defeats, as has been the case in every president's election since 1864. Our January 6th joint session is a vital part of the transfer of power, not the contest for power. Vice President Gore understood this, accepting and certifying the 2000 election result in which he was defeated. Vice President Biden understood this, accepted and certifying this president's victory in the 2016 election. This president's refusal to participate in the peaceful transfer of power and his role in the exciting of the last week's violence posed an existential threat to our constitutional democracy. This threat must be extinguished immediately. This president must be impeached and convicted, and he must be prevented from ever attempting to seize power again. And on that point of other presidents who have all participated in the peaceful uh, transfer of power, uh, minority or excuse me, majority whip Steny Hoyer uh, commented on that during his uh, remarks regarding impeachment today on the House floor. Let's take a listen to uh, majority whip Steny Hoyer. MAGA civil war. They had the hats on of the army of MAGA, which I refer to as make. America grieve again. I've served with Ronald Reagan, with George H.W. Bush, and George Bush. I had respect for all of those presidents. They cared about our country, they honored our Constitution, and they executed the duties of their office consistent with the Constitution and laws of our country. That is not true of this president. And therefore, he ought to be removed. And we have that opportunity to do so. Is there little time left? Yes. But it is never too late to do the right thing. Next, we're going to hear from Representative Jamie Raskin, who can't imagine the last two weeks this man has had. He lost his son to suicide, and then just days later, the Capitol was stormed, his life along with the lives of uh, other representatives uh, in the House and Senate were put in danger. Uh, Let's hear what he had to say, which I thought he made some very salient points, uh, despite what he's going through, regarding uh, in favor of voting to impeach President Trump for the second time. Smashing windows and beating police officers over the head with fire extinguishers. A bloodthirsty mob attacked the Capitol and invaded this Congress last Wednesday. They erected a gallows and repeatedly chanted, hang Mike Pence. They stormed Speaker Pelosi's office yelling, where's Nancy? They brandished 
the Confederate battle flag and occupied the Senate chamber. They wounded dozens of people, hospitalizing dozens of people, killed five of our people. For six hours, they shut down the counting of electoral college votes, our sacred process under the Constitution for peaceful transfer of power in the United States. They may have been hunting for Pence and Pelosi to stage their coup, but every one of us in this room right now could have died. As Senator Lindsey Graham said, the mob could have blown the building up. They could have killed us all. And now the far right is calling for return engagement from January 17th to January 20th. They're asking the president to pardon the conspirators in last week's rampage as they prepare for a race war again next week. And it's a bit much to be hearing that these people would not be trying to destroy our government and kill us if we just weren't so mean to them. And then we're going to hear from Representative Cory Bush, a freshman Democrat from Missouri, also bringing up a very, uh, I think, important point about what this had to do, this riot, uh, these riots with racism. Madam Speaker, St. Louis and I rise in support of the article of impeachment against Donald J. Trump. If we fail to remove a white supremacist president who incited a white supremacist insurrection, it's communities like Missouri's first district that suffer the most. The 117th Congress must understand that we have a mandate to legislate in defense of black lives. The first step in that process is to root out white supremacy, starting with impeaching the white supremacist in chief. Thank you, and I yield back and from your that again was congresswoman cory bush of missouri and that is going to do it for me today this has been mark grimaldi in for leslie marshall stay tuned we'll have all of the latest coverage for you here uh we are going to be having the um the show live tomorrow and Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern. You will be able to hear from Leslie then. As always, it's a, a pleasure being able to sit in for Leslie. Uh, you'll hear me sometimes on the air. She calls me Marky Mark, but for today, uh, I'll go by Mark Grimaldi here in for Leslie Marshall. Everyone, please stay safe, wear a mask, and uh, take care of yourselves and your loved ones. We're all in this together. This has been Mark Grimaldi in for Leslie Marshall. The only way to beat COVID-19 is to face it. You can't forget the danger. Wear the mask, wash your hands, keep a safe distance, especially over the next few months. You know we'll get back to normal, but not yet. Consider virtual gatherings for the holidays, curbside food orders, shopping local. Let's beat this virus into submission. We can if we face it together. For more safety tips, visit ogov.com slash COVID. Paid for by Oakland County Health Division.